0: hear the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood beside them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen, you may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, you give us your word because you love us and you want us to know you. We might commune with you and with each other for all time. I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, commune with us this morning teach us to walk in your ways. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. You know, one of the enjoyable things that happens around holidays when you gather at at grandma's house is, you you know, the old photo books uh, come out and you see these old black and white photos of families, some, you know, from the turn of the century. And um You know, that actually happened in our family gathering up in Canada. You know, Jen and her sisters were looking at old photos and it got me remembering doing that with my own family. My family, my side of the family was awful at like keeping records. Like we only know like a couple generations back who we were, but we have some pretty cool photos. Um, And one of my favorite old photos that I have for my family is my great grandfather, um, who was a fur trapper up in Northern Alberta, lived off the land his entire life, uh, collecting rainwater and all that crazy stuff he's got this crazy picture of him wrestling a bear. And uh, and the story goes that he found this bear cub and uh, without his mom. And so he took it and raised it. And the circus even tried to, to hire him at one point to come and box his, and wrestle his bear in front of other people, to which he was like, no, there's a reason why I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, because I don't want to be around people. Um, so he, he didn't, he said no to that. But it's, it's fun looking at the stories of our past, the stories where we come from, because, um, you know, for better or worse, we are, we are our family stories. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have some special ability to speak to bears or wrestle them, at least not that I know of. I haven't tested it out yet. Um, but I do think there's something about that living off the land idea that's from my family, these pioneer people that probably is within me uh, still, why I like the idea of living off the land, probably more than the actual realities of living off the land. But our our families. Stories stick with us. Um, and for some of you, that might be a scary thought to think of because maybe your family story isn't something you want to continue on. And maybe it's, it's not all roses and, and sunshine. And, um, and, you know, one of the truths you find about our stories is not only do we have them and we're shaped by them, by them, but we actually have profound capacity to, to change them, um, to change our, our family story and to change generational things. And, you know, you see this too in the, in the life of the church, uh, the, in the story of the church, there's, there's actually more than just one reformation that happened throughout history. There's actually many different small reformations that have happened throughout history when, when people are born into a story of the church during rough times and they work to change it. And you know, as we begin to look at, at the book of Acts, this is gonna be our winter series this winter, which will, you know, if, if you're new with us, um, throughout the year, we look at three different books of the Bible. In the fall, we, we're always uh, in an Old Testament book. And then we pause, and then we come back to it in the next fall. In the wintertime, we're usually in the Gospels. We just finished Gospel Mark, so we picked up Acts um, to have something a little different. So we're doing that. You know, we'll be in that for the winters. In the summertime, we're in the book of, of Revelation. And so as we pick up the, the book of Acts now, one of the things we're going to see is we're going to see our own family story as a church, we're going to to pick it up and look at it and see um, where we come from, our origin story, that, that we're still a part of, you know, both the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the things that are, are good that we need to continue and some of the, the bad things that maybe we need to, that we inherited, that we need to even change. Um, but knowing the good and the bad will actually help us to continue on the same story that we began in, in Acts, joining Christ in the, in the building of uh, his church. And I think there's going to be much to learn, especially as a young church, um, so much for us to learn to, to make sure that we are following our legacy well. And um, before I jump into the text this morning, I just want to give a few introductory remarks um, about the, the book itself, uh, since this is the first sermon on it. Um, first, quick question, like, who wrote the book? Uh, well, we know it's, it's Luke who wrote this book, the same Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is kind of part two of his Gospel. You see this at the beginning. He said, in the first book, O Theophilus, that first book is the Gospel of Luke that he's referencing. So this is the, the kind of a two-part series, um, and it's dealing with what he says, all that Jesus began to do and teach. So it's to do with the life and the teachings of, of Jesus. And so, who was Luke? Well, Luke wasn't one of the 12 disciples. Um, Luke, the name itself is a Greek name, which means he was likely a Gentile convert uh, within the church. And he's actually mentioned a couple other times in the New Testament as a person who ministered alongside Paul. Um, and he's also called a physician, which is why, if you ever wondered why many times hospitals are called St. Luke's, this is why, because he was considered a doctor. In fact, one day when we start a hospital, we'll probably name it St. Luke's, um, uh, seems to fit. So this is, this is who he is, um, And he addresses both of these books, you know, to this man, Theophilus. And we don't know much about this person. His name itself means a dear one to God. And so he's likely a Christian. Maybe he's a wealthy Christian who, you know, um, basically hires Luke to do some investigative work to find out who this person, uh, Jesus, was, making sure that my belief in him is solid, is good, and so he's writing down, gathering all this eyewitness evidence to kind of show who Jesus worked, and so maybe he's commissioning Luke for this work, and Luke is writing these books as evidences that his faith in Jesus is, in fact, on solid ground. Jesus is who he said he was, and the the second part of writing Acts deals with um, the establishment and growth of the church after Jesus um, left them. And so, and, and actually it's how Jesus was still a part of the growth even after he left. And, and then the book itself of Acts ends with Paul in Rome where Paul would eventually die. And uh, one of the things you notice is there's no mention of the destruction of the temple um, in, in the book of Acts, which that happened in 70 AD. So it's likely this, this was written before then. So it was probably written in the early 60s, still well within range of like all the first eyewitnesses being around. So those are the kind of the people that Luke um, relied on for his writings, And, uh, you know, as a young church who's who's very near its own beginnings, I think this will be important as we still uh, continue to mature and learn what does it mean to be part of the story of the church and carry on this legacy. And in this first scene in the book of Acts, uh, it begins with Jesus kind of post-resurrection. He's still got that, you know, nice resurrection glow about him. For the literalists in the room, I don't think he was actually glowing. Don't go tell your friends, yeah, I learned in church that Jesus glowed after he resurrected. I, I don't think so. But, He's hanging out with his disciples. He's about to leave them again. And these are Jesus's final words. Think about if you're like the final words to a to a son, a daughter, a mother, and you're gonna leave them, you're not gonna see him again in person. Think about the importance of those final words. These are Jesus's final words. I'm gonna leave you with these things um, to equip them for the work that's ahead of them. And borrowing uh, from a friend here, I think there's, there's three things that he's equipping them with. Um, as he, as he ascends into heaven. And, these, and he continues to equip us with. And they're these. that He's equipping them with a faithful patience. With a missional pattern. And ascension power. So first. Jesus equips the church with a faithful patience. You know when it comes to patience. This is probably one of my least favorite things in the world. Anyone that knows me well knows that I'm an extremely impatient man. Not that I, I can't achieve patience. But I don't enjoy it. For instance, um, when I was in seminary, my Greek professor gave us a take-home test over the weekend. We got this exam on a Thursday. We're supposed to return it on a on a Monday morning. And all my friends went to the media to the library to start studying, and the plan was we were all gonna take it Sunday evening, you know, get all the studying in, take it and turn it in, and they texted me and said, Hey Craig, where are you at? We're in the library studying. I was like, Oh, I don't need to study. I said, Why don't you need to study? I was like, I already I already took it. And they're like, you already took it? He's like, that probably wasn't very wise. like, no, it probably wasn't, but I couldn't just let it sit there on my desk all weekend. I had to just get out of the way and take it. So I did. And I did fine on it. I passed anyway, so that's all that matters. Don't don't ask for my grades. Uh, but the disciples are a little like that. They're impatient. They know what they want. They want this good thing. They're impatient for Jesus to establish his kingdom, which is a good thing for him to establish. Jesus knows this, and in the stories of the disciples are kind of riddled with, you see these impatient things that they do. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse four. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. First thing he says to them is wait for the promise of the father. Wait for God to lead you out of here. Which, you know, this kind of statement both supposes that God will indeed actually lead you out of here, um, but also supposes that it won't happen at this time. Which, you know, no one wants that response, honestly, if you're talking to God about something. No, one's, no one wants God to say, no, nah, just not yet, just wait for it, it'll, it'll happen. Uh, but the only way you can actually wait uh, for that kind of promise, the, the only reason you can wait for God and when he says, I will come, just not yet, just wait for me. Is if you have faith. Uh, if you have faith that your waiting will not be in vain, that's the only way that you can wait for Him. And, you know, even the 40 days that He spends with them kind of gives us a hint of the kind of waiting that's going to be required. Um, you know, for, for instance, I think it's a reference, at least in part, to the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert after they escaped from Egypt. And what were they doing in the desert? They were waiting. And what did they struggle with in the desert? They struggle with waiting. They they struggle with faith. They thought they maybe had it better in Egypt when they were slaves. Um, And he knows, what what do my people need more than anything? They need to be patient people. They need faith to be patient. You know, and also reminiscent of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness fasting Reenacting this moment again, battling the devil, required faith from Jesus to, I'm gonna believe the voice of my father over the voice of Satan. Also reenacting the fateful events of Genesis 3 and the temptation that Adam gave into, Jesus stands through. Jesus again reenacting a 40-day period, walking with his disciples, training them in faithful patience. This is the first thing we learn about our story and about us as a church is that we need a faithful patience. We need to be equipped for it because it isn't natural to us. We're not born with patience. It has to be given to us. And this is what Jesus gives us is a faithful patience. And this was hard for the disciples. And it's hard for us too because they had certain expectations for what was supposed to happen now that Jesus was risen from the dead. Now that he had come back from the dead, they had certain things they wanted him to do. And so, and this is what they say in verse six. So when they had come together, the disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're basically asking, listen, is it all going to happen now? Is this going to be the end of all things? This is Part of this desire is a good godly desire. What do they want? They want God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. This is the thing we pray every week when we gather. They want the promised land restored. They want Jesus as king, ruling with peace and prosperity in the land. All the things that likely fill our prayers. They're praying for, they're asking, is that going to happen now? And surely now that Jesus couldn't be killed... You know, it was time, right? He's got those resurrection powers. We're unstoppable. Um, uh, Will you restore the kingdom to Israel now? Surely this is the, the final pages of the great saga. The series concludes today to which Jesus responds to them. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. He's saying that... You're not going to know the times or seasons or when this is going to happen. He's saying it's going to be a while. Even the power that comes on them in the, at Pentecost and allows them to do all the work of establishing the church is not establishing the kingdom yet in Israel. It's going to be a while, and you, you, you and I need the expectation of a faithful patience for the work of the kingdom. It does not always go as planned or as expected, and we have to be patient. It will happen. It is happening but it takes time. But this is true of any good, healthy endeavor. There's usually typically not immediate results that happen when you do anything good. For instance, if you said, hey, I struggle with prayer and Bible reading, i want to start a habit for that. That habit is not built in one day. If you say I wanna be healthy, you're not healthy after one day of doing healthy things or any good habit, any good endeavor takes time. This is what the author Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. It's what's required over any good endeavor. It's what's required of the church for her to be successful, to have this long view. Which is an idea that probably resonates with us. We're probably like, yeah, that makes sense, I agree. But it's something we struggle to put into practice. And the only way we can learn to have, to to put that into practice and have patience is to trust that the Father is indeed coming. That he is indeed establishing his kingdom. And look, um, the nice thing is we have the benefit of history to look back at. It's almost 2,000 years since this moment um, that this was been written. And one of the things we learn looking at the last 2,000 years is that their waiting is not in vain. Some of what Jesus was speaking about to them was fulfilled you know, days later at Pentecost when the Spirit of God comes and descends on them and gives them power to do their work. Um, and some of what he's prophesying and telling them about is not yet fulfilled. The church is still in a state of waiting. The kingdom of God is not yet fully established on this earth. As one great hymn writer, Horatio Bonaire, puts it, the church is still a church that waits in weeds of widowhood. Right. In many days, it will feel like the Father isn't going to fulfill his promise, like our waiting is in vain. This is why we have to look and remember our story, the story of the church, to see that the one who promises is indeed faithful to his promises. Just as he was faithful to establish the early church, he is faithful to establish us. And you know you might not be able to see that truth from, from moment to moment, just like you don't notice your hair growing from, from day to day. But when you look back on the last 2,000 years of history, you can't deny that God is trustworthy, that he has indeed come, that he has listened to his people, that he is building his kingdom as his church is growing all over the world. So the first call, the first equipping for you and I is to have faith. Have a faithful patience. The kingdom of God is coming. This is what we need to be equipped with, and we're equipped with that expectation of patient, waiting. We, what we at St. Andrews need to endure is patience, a long vision. We can't afford to be short-sighted. For us to succeed, we need the patience to keep going, just that kind of daily plodding along, even in the midst of the fog, even when you can't see the other side, trusting that the Father is establishing his kingdom. But faithful patience does not mean we just sit on our hands and we do nothing. We say, all right, you do your thing. We'll just sit here and wait for you to come. Um, Patience doesn't mean don't do stuff, don't work. It means trusting that your work will succeed even if it doesn't feel like it will at, at every given moment. Jesus invites us into our calling to be patient as we work. So what is our work? Well this is the second thing we see here is that Jesus equips the church with a missional pattern. Jesus equips the church with a missional pattern. This is the work that he gives us. This is the shape of our of our work. You know the disciples throughout their time with Jesus, their expectation as they were going into Jerusalem um, was that Jesus would restore Israel the physical place and that Jesus would sit on a physical throne in Israel. This is what their vision of the kingdom was, those geographic boundaries. And Jesus is like, no, uh, you're thinking too small. It's not that I'm, I'm not gonna establish my kingdom in Israel, but it's, it's gonna be actually everywhere. Uh, in my kingdom, there is no borders. My mission is not just Israel. My mission is the, the cosmos. Uh, this is where my kingdom is expanding, where it has no nationality or border, no, no tribe or land is actually more chosen than another. So how does it spread like this? Well, we, we see this here in, in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We're going to save the Holy Spirit part until later. Um, but look at this pattern of how the, the kingdom grows. Uh, The the kingdom that they long for Jesus to establish. It says it starts in Jerusalem. Well, this is actually where they are now. And, you know, the whole book of the Gospel of Luke is them and this journey actually to Jerusalem. The whole point of it is they're constantly pointing to Jerusalem. They finally make it to Jerusalem. They're they're in Jerusalem here now. And actually the first bit of the book of Acts until the stoning of Stephen, they're actually still in, in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And from there, they actually slowly spread out and kind of reenact this pattern, which is fun. But the But they're in Jerusalem now, it's where they are, and he's saying, listen, be my witness here, where you are now, in Jerusalem. It's the first part of the pattern, is our work is to be a witness where we are, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, in our places of business, where you are. Uh, You don't got to go somewhere else to do this work, it happens where you are first and foremost. And from there, you go to Judea, which for them, physically, is a southern region of the, the kingdom of Uh, the the Israel, the country. It's similar to maybe a city or state for us, or like if if you think of city Yakima to the Pacific Northwest, you know, city to a a region is how to think of it, which kind of makes sense. This idea of this mission comes in this place where we are, slowly expands to our region, which for us, it's how we think about church planting. You plant in one area, then you kind of slowly plant throughout the the region, um, which so far, the the way they think about the kingdom of God coming to Israel, they're probably thinking, this is awesome. God's going to reestablish our boundary lines. It's going to be back to King David land. And this is going to be sweet. We're going to have what we want. We're going to kick those dirty Romans out. And then you kind of get this first part of a curveball here. Is Then he mentioned Samaria. Now, Samaria is technically still in the boundaries of, of Israel. It's in the former northern kingdom. But the Israelites do not like the Samaritans. I mean, one quick story of this is, if you remember in John 4, Jesus with the woman at the well and the disciples find him talking to her like, Who, why are you talking to her for? She's dirty. You don't talk to her. Um, the reason why they didn't like the Samaritans, uh, they were intermarried people. Um, so they weren't pure blooded uh, Jewish people. Um, and they would intermarry with people from other lands and other religions. And one of the things you find in scriptures, you know, God actually often will, will condemn them from marry, f- tell them not to marry people from other tribes. And the reason why he does this isn't because he doesn't want like, interracial marriage. It's actually not his concern there. His concern there is ethnic places often meant, like if you're an Israelite, it meant you worship Yahweh. If you're a Moabite, it meant you worship God like Baal. So like your ethnic heritage was directly related to the God that you worshiped. And that was what he didn't want. He didn't want people marrying people um, who worshiped other gods and corrupted them because that's what would always happen to the kingdom of Israel when they married people outside their kingdom. They would always get corrupted by other gods. And actually, this happens in in 2 Kings. God actually sends lions on the Samaritans and eats them because they don't fear and follow him. Um, So the Samaritans are this ugly group. We don't like the Samaritans. They worship in a place that's not Israel. They they worship falsely. Um, And uh, so we don't talk to them. We don't want to get dirty with them. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, my kingdom, the next place it expands is not to that kind of place. This is probably where it started to get a little uncomfortable with the disciples, like them. We have to go bear witness of you to those people who are unclean. Um, And the reality is, even for us, we have those people in our minds, people who we'd rather not have in the kingdom. People who, if they were in the kingdom with us, would be like, is there a way for them to be on the other side of heaven, Jesus? Because I'd really... Just rather not bump into them for all eternity. This sounds very uncomfortable. I don't like them. Um, you know, people we don't like, people who worship other gods right now, people who have profoundly different and false ideological ideas. And you might even wonder, how could that person ever begin to believe in the same gospel that I believe in? One of the things that Jesus is saying is this, in the pattern of expansion starts here where we are, but even goes into those places. Which is kind of cool. It says even those places that we couldn't even imagine the gospel going, one day the gospel will go there and conquer that area. It's a pretty profound statement. And for us, it's a matter of like changing our hearts to the place where we actually want that to happen. Even in those places we despise, this is the nature of the kingdom. It'll, It'll expand and it'll always invite the outsider in. And there is no place on this earth that God's kingdom won't one day touch and claim which is profound. Jesus doesn't even stop there. He, one more. Uh, he says, to the ends of the earth. You know, at least the Samaritans have some Jewish you know, blood in them, but to the ends of the earth, everywhere. You know, and throughout the book of Acts, you're gonna find this is actually a major struggle, not just Acts, but the New Testament, is those people that are outside the Jewish bloodline, the, the Gentiles, um, and what? how Jewish do they need to become? Do they need to follow the same customs of eating rituals? Do they need to circumcise like, like the Jewish people circumcise? Are they second-class citizens of the kingdom? Um, this is a, a major concern is this to the ends of the earth idea. Um, and here is where you begin to see the wild nature of this missional pattern of the kingdom. Uh, that it, it grows from something small, mustard seed, right, to this tree that the nations come and rest on earth, that it, it grows from where you are to the ends of the earth this is the church's job, is to be a witness of it. And faithful patience to witness of this thing, to trust that this will happen. And again, looking at the 2000 years of history, it actually has happened. We are the ends of the earth. We're a long ways away from where this started. You get that, right? We're the fulfillment of this, that we are the ends of the earth. We don't know when this work is all gonna be finished of when the kingdom of God will have expanded and gone everywhere, but we're called to be the people who faithfully, patiently trust in this kingdom work, joining in it with our faithful witness. This is a missional pattern that continues for us today that the church is not just a place of waiting, of sitting on our hands. It's a place of action. It's a place of mission to bear witness of the work and teaching of Christ to proclaim his excellency so that the whole earth will be filled with the glory because there is no geographic boundary to his kingdom. It's cosmic and its goal. It's, it's total. It's everywhere. And so Jesus equips the church first. And you need to be patient. This kingdom is going to take a while. It's going to require you to be patient and have a faithfulness about you. It's also going to require you to work and to start where you are and slowly expand and go out everywhere. Which leads to the to the third thing that Jesus equips them with. An essential an ingredient for them to be effective in all this waiting and working. Is they're going to need a power that's not their own. And this is the third thing we find, that Jesus equips them with his ascension power. Jesus equips them with his ascension power. You know, and one of the realities of, in this kind of work, it's too big for us. Um, we need help. And you, you see this beginning in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. All right, you will receive the Holy Spirit when the Spirit has come upon you. This is the foundation of your witness. The foundation of your waiting and your witness is God's power. It rests on him. And this is also why you can be confident that this mission will work is because it's his power that makes it work. And it is at this point that something odd happens. I imagine the disciples expected, I would have expected if I was one of the many ways I should say at least, that he was going to stay and help bear witness. I mean, it would make a lot, things a lot easier if Jesus just stayed with us, right? Right. Imagine you're talking to someone, trying to tell them about Jesus. Yeah, this guy came, and he died, and he rose again, and he did some cool stuff. And actually, hey, Jesus, can you come here? Can you do that water to wine trick just real quick? This guy just wants to see some of that power. You know, it'd make it a lot easier to convince someone that Jesus was real if he didn't leave. And then Jesus leaves them. Uh, Verse 10, the ascension of Christ. It says, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood with them in white robes, And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's the ascension of Christ. Jesus leaves them. You know, the reality is, I'm sure most of us in this room are so familiar with these stories that we just kind of accept them and like, yeah, he left, this is what he did. But doesn't it seem kind of odd at this point for Jesus just to to leave them? I mean, won't this make the work a lot harder? Imagine telling your children, hey, you know, here's this thing. Put it together. I'm going to go leave and come back and see what you come up with. They're probably going to build something kind of weird, which is honestly what we do a lot of times. Uh, But why does Jesus actually leave? It just doesn't make sense. Well, he leaves because the ascension of Christ may, may just be the most important part of his incarnation. And I know that the ascension doesn't have the airplay as the Easter's and Christmases and Good Fridays. Um, this church building will likely not be filled on Ascension Sunday with great anticipation, but maybe it should be because his ascension is actually what makes everything that he did effective. Uh, in fact, if he didn't never ascend into heaven, his work on the cross would not have done what it it actually did. Because what happens in his ascension? Well, he actually finishes the sacrificial system's demands that he came to satisfy when he came to, to die and rise again and ascend into heaven. Because as his life and sacrifice kind of model the Old Testament sacrifices, ascension is kind of the last piece of the sacrificial system. Because ascension means to go up. Uh, and as the sacrifices are made, they, they ascended up into heaven. For the Lord to smell in Christ's death and resurrection, for, for those things to be cemented to us, they had to ascend up into heaven. He, the sacrificial lamb who by his sacrifice makes peace for us as people, had to ascend into the heavenly places to the Father. And even this image of him ascending is that of a, the work of a high priest. The high priest would go into the temple, the most holy places where there was a throne with cherubim on either side. And now Jesus is going up into the Holy of Holies, into heaven, ascending into the holiest place where there's these angels, right, on on either side here in this scene of ascension to the throne room of the God Almighty and there uh, he will come to rule the world, right? Jesus ascends to offer himself and his own blood to complete his work as our priest, going to the Father, mediating on our behalf, offering forgiveness for sins, but not just as this priest doing that mediating work, but as a king, as Jesus also there assumes a throne, Jesus' work was not finished at the resurrection. It was finished at the ascension, where he applies his resurrection power to us. And this is Jesus' current state ascension, throne, sitting. Ascension is actually the goal and aim of his entire work on earth. This is why it was necessary. The church could not be established, it would not be able to do the things it did until he left. Because what does he do now that he's seated on the throne ascended? Well, he's ruling. As a, as a ruler, as a king, sitting on his throne, he's able to establish his kingdom and he is able to send his spirit to, to us to empower us in the mission that we've been given to bear witness to. Because the church hasn't grown and spread because of human ingenuity and power. Um, you know, we're still saying some of the same prayers that the church has said for over a thousand years, still same, singing some of the same songs. It's not in our power, it's not our power that sustains this work and causes it to grow, but it is Christ his ascension power that makes this happen. Because on its own, that apart from this ascension power, the church is really no different than the world, and sometimes it's the worst of humanity. Wounding the people, it claims it's here to to heal. But with the ascension power, the church can become one of the most beautiful places to be. Broken relationships restored, generational feuds finding peace, enemies being made friends, restoration, forgiveness, things that are impossible on our own power. These are the things that happen by the power of the spirit. Only the spirit can soften hearts and apply the mighty truths of the gospel to our lives that while we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. And now you and I go out in that same death, resurrection, ascension, power, bearing witness of the one who sits on the throne and is expanding his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. It is because Jesus has ascended and is now seated on his throne, empowering us by his spirit that we can walk with a faithful patience, waiting for his kingdom, and work with this missional pattern that he has given us, trusting his kingdom to expand on earth as it is in heaven. May God establish and equip our church by his power that his kingdom might expand and grow in Yakima and from here to the ends of the earth. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your word. For your care for us your people that as you left us you did not leave us alone but you sent your spirit to dwell inside of us giving us glimpses of your mighty power as our king may we walk and step with your spirit may your kingdom grow on earth as it is in heaven use us as you see fit towards this end